0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I'm your host and narrator, spring Jack, and we're going to get started today after just a few brief disclaimers. First of all, the show might offend you. If you're easily offended, please turn the show off and spare me the negative reviews on the podcast store or the iTunes store, whatever the fuck you call it, uh, because you won't like the show. This is your first and final warning. Second, I use advertisements in the show that I do not own the rights to. They are the creative property of Rockstar Games. That is all. In the game of checkers in life, sometimes you make the wrong move and get jumped. If you make the wrong move and need money fast, we're here to capitalize on that. Some people are destined to make the wrong move over and over again. It's okay. It's all right. What are possessions in life's treasures if you can't cash them in during a self-imposed crisis? At Abigo Brokerage and Pawn, we'll secure the funds you need for any collateral items you can get your hands on. Just
1: bring in your stock, jewelry, electronics, munitions, dust, automobiles, power tools, home, movies,
0: children, exercise equipment, pets, coin collection, or your spleen, liver, or kidney, we'll give you cash on the spot. After all, some habits are expensive. We don't need proof of ownership. We're about the most basic exchange. Goods for money. We'll buy anything, including your dignity. A Vigo Brokerage and Pond.
1: The day of liberation is here. Throughout history, only the biggest and strongest survive. Being big means you're successful, and women love big men. Him, and as a successful man, you need to feel comfortable when you're sitting down to eat. Clothes for the bigger man. Don't be bound by society, bogus medicine, and the media with their unhealthy focus on being skinny. Don't be constrained by trying to squeeze into a triple X. Bored of feeling like a man in a sausage skin in your size 48 jeans? Bored of being uncomfortable? Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro the clothes shop for enormous men. We're fighting to end hunger. Yours.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another wonderful and exciting episode of the Halloween special of Anthology of Horror. As previously mentioned, I am your host and narrator, spring Jack. And with no more further ado, let's go ahead and jump into tonight's stories. This first one is called, My Neighbor's a Monster, He Must Be Stopped. I'm writing this journal to collect my thoughts and leave a record for my children so they can understand why I've taken these actions. Because... When all's said and done, everything I do is to protect my family and to make sure they have a home to come back to once this is all done. I don't know if I'll survive the battles ahead, but I know my legacy will live on. It all started a week ago, a mere seven days for my whole life to fall apart. That's when he moved into the old Johnson place, less than 200 yards from my home. I don't know what the entity is exactly, a demon, a cryptid, or maybe something else, who can say... All I know is that he's a monster, a beast with a malicious heart. His reign of terror began as little more than low-level intimidation, but soon it escalated into something far more sinister and dangerous. I came home one night last week and spotted the dim light shining through the old farm's window. I thought this was unusual. Mr. Johnson had owned the farm for the best part of 30 years, but he died of a heart attack last winter. The old farmhouse has been vacant since his death seeing as his distant relatives continue to argue over the estate. The light I saw that night caused me some concern because I thought somebody had broken in, maybe a squatter or partying teenagers, perhaps. I promised to myself I'd check it out the next day, but I confess that it slipped my mind as I was worried about mundane daily shit such as work, my marriage, and looking after my my, my children. It might have ended there, but unfortunately for me it didn't. The next night was when things started to take a more sinister turn. The screams began around midnight, a high-pitched squealing coming from the old Johnson place. The din was horrifying, something akin to a banshee's wail. It went on for hours. The awful sound reverberating through my skull nearly driving me insane. The strangest thing is that no one else could hear it, not my wife, my son, or my daughter, not even the dog. I remember screaming at my wife to be heard over the god-awful din and she just looked at me like I was a nutjob. I couldn't understand it at the time. Was the monster choosing to torment me and only me? I couldn't believe this was the case. Perhaps I have a sixth sense, an instinct which alerts me when my family is in danger, even when the threat is supernatural in origin. On that first night, I armed myself with a baseball bat and headed out, meaning to confront whatever was creating this horrific noise, but I didn't make it. I got within 50 yards of the farmhouse before collapsing to my knees, feeling like my head was about to explode. Fighting through my pain, I looked up at the house, seeing a dark shadow standing at the upper window, glaring down at me with with malicious intent. I couldn't make out any features, but I knew in my heart that the being watching me was pure evil. I swore I could hear the creature laughing cruelly as I crawled back to my home, the pain in my skull gradually subsiding. It played out the same way over the next few nights. I didn't know how to stop the hideous sound, so I took to wearing noise-reducing headphones. I reckoned the monster wouldn't stay in the Johnson's farmhouse forever. Surely he was only using the derelict building as a staging post, softening me up for psychological warfare before launching a full-on physical attack on my family. I spent the daylight hours preparing, barricading windows and doors and constructing a collection of homemade weapons. When it comes to home defense, I believe in relying on my own metal rather than calling the fuzz. Fuck yeah, dude. That's right, they're not going to help you. Gotta take care of yourself. Be a man. My wife wasn't happy though. We had a blazing fight on the third day and she took the kids and the dog in her car saying she was going to stay with her mother until I came back to my senses. I was angry with her and couldn't understand why she didn't trust me. After all, I was doing all this to protect her and the kids. But I rationalized that it was for the best, as they would be out of harm's way when the shit hit the fan, and I had no intention in running away at all. Last night the screaming stopped quite suddenly at about 3am. I'd gotten so used to the terrible din ringing in my ears, and so I should have felt relieved. But I knew this was likely the calm before the storm. A prelude to something far worse, so to speak. I turned out all the lights in my house and took cover behind the barricaded front door, holding my loaded shotgun tightly as I peeked out through the letterbox. I felt a foreboding sense of dread as I observed the lonely country lane directly outside of my home, a narrow road shrouded in darkness with the only illumination coming from the stars above and the dim light emanating from the Johnson's old farmhouse. I must have perched there for about three or four hours, shivering from the cold and something worse. The sense of primal terror. I tried my best to stay alert, but I was exhausted, and so my eyes began to droop. But then I heard it, the sound of heavy footsteps. They were slowly but surely making their way down the lane. I was wide awake in an instant, jumping to attention as I grabbed hold of my gun, opening the door ever so slightly and poking the barrel out through the gap. The tension was unbearable, and the terror I felt was almost as overwhelming as I waited for the monster to emerge. My finger was poised on the trigger. My hand shook, but I was determined to take the bastard out if the opportunity arose. Finally, the creature appeared at the top of the laneway, still hidden in the shadows and about 50 yards or so away from my door. I could see very little in the dark, just a shape which looked like a man, although I knew it was anything but. I silently begged for him to come closer, not because I wanted to see the monster's true form, but so I could get a clean shot at the bastard. But he seemed to have anticipated my plan, as he stopped dead in the middle of the road, glaring at me across the void. I knew the beast could see me, and I could feel his hateful gaze upon me. Then he started to laugh. A terrifying cackle which filled the night air. The noise was horrific, even worse than the screams of the previous nights. This evil being was mocking me, laughing at my pain. Suddenly, my fear turned to anger as I pulled the trigger, firing buckshot across the void. But my target was standing just out of range, and he barely even reacted to the shot. Instead, he continued to laugh in open mockery until he eventually turned on his heels and calmly walked back up the lane, returning to the abandoned farmhouse he'd transformed into his hellish retreat. I was left badly shaken by the encounter and remained at my post until dawn, expecting a follow-up attack, but the monster was done for the night and I lived to see the morning. So this brings me up to date. This is my story, my fight. From this point forward, I will document my daily battles with the monster. I'll prepare during the day and fight during the evening, and I won't stop until one of us is dead. Monday I spent the daylight hours building traps along the laneway and across the adjacent field. In the morning, I constructed up a punji trap affixed to a tree trunk and set a wire across the narrow laneway. My afternoon was occupied by building a homemade pipe bomb, which I planned to use as an improvised hand grenade if the monster gets close enough. My anxiety returned as darkness fell, but I felt more confident given the preparations I'd made throughout the day. For the first time since this nightmare began, I dared to think I'd gained the upper hand. But then I did something stupid, which put me in grave danger. I fell asleep. I should have expected it, really. I hadn't rested for days, after all, and pure, pure adrenaline will only take you so far. I was perched up against the barricades, keeping watch whenever my strength finally gave way, and I closed my eyes. I don't know how long I was asleep, but the monster caught me off guard. I awoke to screaming, the banshee like wailing of the previous nights except louder, as the terrible sound was emanating from the right side of my front door. I jumped up in terror, instinctively grabbing for my shotgun in a desperate attempt to defend myself, but it was already too late. The monster smashed through my barricade like it was made out of paper. A second letter he used um, a second later he used immense strength to smash in my solid oak door, knocking me down in the process. I was almost crushed by the weight of the door falling on top of me, experiencing a sharp pain in the back of my head as I hit the hard ground. I lost consciousness a second later, but the last experience I had before everything went black was the sound of the creature's sadistic laughter. The first rays of the sunlight were visible by the time I regained consciousness. My head was still throbbing as I struggled to pull my bruised body out from underneath the fallen door. Frankly, I was astonished to have survived the assault. The monster had gotten the better of me, and I'd been completely at his mercy, and yet he hadn't struck the fatal blow. I can only conclude that he wishes to prolong my suffering, but my nemesis has made a fatal mistake, and he should have killed me whenever he had the chance. So I pulled myself together, bandaged my head, down some painkillers, and got back to work. Tuesday After repairing the front door, I set more traps throughout the day, digging a pit and lining the bottoms with sharpened sticks before covering it with branches and leaves. Next, I prepared a supply of Molotov cocktails using old beer bottles and petrol siphoned from my fuel tank. My head was still throbbing and I didn't want to risk passing out again, so I got a few hours sleep to recharge before the night's fight. I stood guard at the door, expecting a repeat of the previous night's attack, but my nemesis changed his tactics toying with me and testing my defenses. He circled my house, forcing me from window to window, and all I could see was a dark shadow moving behind the tree line, prompting me to take pot shots with my gun. But I never hit him, and he laughed in open mockery every time I missed. I realized too late what his plan was. He wanted me to expend my supply of ammunition, and he almost succeeded, leaving me with only two shells. Pangs of panic hit me at this point as I considered my next move. If the monster broke in again, which was he was certainly capable of doing, I wasn't sure I could stop the bastard. I considered making a last stand or even burning the house down around me as a desperate scorched earth tactic to deny my nemesis his final victory. But this didn't prove necessary as the creature broke off his attack, leaving me to fight another day. No doubt he wants to prolong my misery for at least another night, but I've got a surprise in store for the fucker because I am no longer going to be playing by his rules. Wednesday Afternoon I want to document my thoughts and emotions before darkness falls as I have a terrible feeling that tonight might be my last on earth. I phoned my wife this morning and it didn't go well. I just wanted to speak with the kids, but she refused to put them on the phone saying I would only upset them. I lost my temper and shouted at her, and she hung up on me. I tried calling her back, but it went straight to the answering machine. I just don't understand that woman anymore. Doesn't she realize I'm doing all of this for her and our children? If I don't defend our home, then who will? I was upset following the argument, but I knew I had to put it behind me and focus on the task at hand. Everything will get back to normal once this monster's defeated. Still, I can't escape the awful thought that I may not win this fight, that I could die at the hands of my nemesis. But at least, if the worst happens, I'll have stood my ground and my children can take pride in knowing that I've fought for them. One way or another, this will be over before dawn. I'm tired of hiding and waiting for the bastard to come get me. Tonight, I'm going on the offensive. Wednesday, evening. I'm hurt, bad. Somehow I managed to get back inside the house, but I don't know how long I've got before I pass out due to blood loss. I considered calling for help. Perhaps the ambulance will get here in time, but the truth is, I'm ashamed. The quote monster is dead. That's a certainty. But unfortunately, my victory is a hollow one. I don't know how this happened, but I must try to explain for the sake of my children. I launched my attack shortly after dusk, advancing down the laneway and across the field, armed with my shotgun and carrying the pipe bomb I constructed over the previous few days. The horrible noise began almost as soon as I stepped out out of my front door, the banshee-like screaming which deafened me, reverberating inside of my skull. It was nearly unbearable, but I was determined to fight through the pain. I was practically crawling through the mud for the last 50 yards, my head pounding like my skull was about to explode. I almost passed out due to the pain, but somehow I kept going. My aching eyes focused upon my goal. The dilapidated old dwelling transformed into a hell house. I saw him in the window, a dark shadow watching me, emitting the hellish sound in an attempt to break me, and I experienced a surge of righteous anger as I approached the house. Lifting my bomb, lighting the fuse, and throwing it with all my might. The pipe bomb flew through the air, smashing the glass and landing inside of the house. A second later, the device detonated with a deafening blast. The shadowy figure rapidly retreated from the window and emitted a howl of what I took to be pain. I cried out in triumph, knowing that I'd finally gotten the better of the bastard. Rushing forward, I kicked in the front door of the house and stormed inside with my shotgun in hand. I quickly discovered a trail of fresh blood following it deeper into the house, barely acknowledging my surroundings as I focused entirely upon my quarry. Spotting movement in the corner of my eye, I turned to see a figure fleeing down a darkened corridor. Acting on instinct, I raised my shotgun, aimed and fired, feeling the heavy kick back against my shoulder. I saw my nemesis fall after the buckshot tore through his back. I can't describe the ecstasy I felt in that moment, having finally bested my enemy. I practically skipped down the corridor so I could examine his body. Reaching out with both hands, I turned his heavy, lifeless body over, expecting to see the face of an inhuman monster, but to my shock and horror, I saw a man. A normal human being, no different from myself, except his eyes were shut and he was no longer breathing. It struck me so hard in that terrible moment as I realized I'd killed what appeared to be an innocent man. But how could this be possible? This man couldn't have been the one that was harassing me over the last few nights. There was no way. I suddenly felt quite ill, retreating from the corpse as I scanned the surrounding corridor in detail for the first time. What I saw wasn't the abandoned, decrepit old farmhouse I expected to find, but rather a lived-in home, a comfortable family dwelling. I looked to a table, With a lamp, picking up a neatly framed photograph. The picture inside was that of a man and his family, his wife and two young children. And the man I'd shot was the father in the picture. I'd killed a family man, someone just like me. My head was spinning, and I felt like I would vomit. As I dropped the picture and retreated back down the corridor away from the body of the man I'd brutally killed, I couldn't bear to be in that house any longer, not after what I'd done. I started to run. Rushing out through the door, I'd kicked in before sprinting across the darkened field. I could hear screaming behind me, but not like it was before. It was a woman and children crying out in grief. They'd found his body. Tears were rolling down my cheeks as I fled from the scene like a coward. I guess I was still in some sort of a state of shock because I forgot about the pit in front of my door and unwittingly fell into my own trap. Piercing my leg on a sharpened spike on the way down. Somehow I avoided impaling myself, but sliced my thigh open and started bleeding like a pig. I've managed to pull myself out and apply a makeshift tourniquet, temporarily halting the flow of blood. Uh, But I don't know if I'll lose consciousness, or whether the wound will become infected, or maybe I'll just end it all using my final shotgun shell to blow my head off. I don't think I can go on after this, not after killing an innocent man. I'm trying to understand how this happened. Was I fooled by some kind of black magic witchery, or was it all in my head? It hardly matters now, I suppose. I thought I was doing the right thing by fighting to protect my home and my family, but perhaps I was the monster all along. God forgive me, because I doubt anybody else will. Oh, not bad.
1: She wants the finest girl I've seen in my life Let
0: it, Let it glow I know that you won't go So
1: Let's be honest about things for a second. Really honest. You came out to the West Coast to get away from something. Everyone does. Let's face it, the Midwest is full of retards. That's why we've got the fastest growing population, a massive economy, and absolutely no history or culture. You used to be a dork, but you moved here, and suddenly you're cool. San Andreas is a land where you can be who you want to be. Change your name, come out, lie about your age, form your own religion, call yourself an actor but wait tables. It just doesn't matter out here. Everybody's at it. Until the awful moment old friends or family come to visit, Janice understands. it's time to change your identity. Don't let bad memories blow your cover. We'll teach you all the things you need to alienate your family quick. They'll never think of visiting you again. Select from a list of weird religions that involve burning things, singing children's songs backwards, and loads of television worship. We'll select a member of another race or life form for you to claim as your soul mate, and your dietary habits will go pacific too. People come to San Andreas to escape their past. We'll help you lose contact with friends and family fast. Janice, it's time to invent the new you.
0: God, that commercial's fucking accurate. Anybody that claims they love Los Angeles wasn't born here. They moved here from somewhere else. That's the cold, hard truth of it. And uh, you do seem to meet quite a few waiters that are sketch comedians or stand-up comics or models or trying to be influencers. I just moved to Los Angeles. I know. I know you did. You don't need to tell me. I could tell. The I Love LA shirt gave it away... Can I just have my hot dog, please? Anyway, this next one's called The Bar at the Edge of Eternity from the same author as the other one, Wound Liquor. This is The Bar at the Edge of Eternity. Don't ask me how I got here because I can't remember. (laughs) This fucker sounds like me. I'd been drinking heavily that night, out on a bender to end all benders. I was angry and the booze didn't help. It never did, if truth be told, but I couldn't stop myself. I vaguely recall downing shots in a busy bar and making an ill-advised pass at an attractive young lady who was out with her boyfriend. Needless to say, this didn't go down too well. Punches were thrown and I was forcibly removed from the premises. After that, the rest of the night is something of a blur. What I do remember is waking up in the squalid back room of a dark pub, my head throbbing and my mouth tasting of vomit. My body was covered in bruises, probably as a result of the fight, and my clothes were ripped and soiled. All in all, I was in a pretty sorry state. What's more, I had no idea where I was. I didn't recognize the bar and was sure I'd never visited this establishment before. My first impressions weren't great. I'd been in some real dives during my time, and this place was among the worst. The couch I woke up on was filthy. Filthy and the tired wood floors beneath me were suspiciously sticky. Meanwhile, my nostrils were filled with the mixed odors of spilt alcohol, cigarette smoke, and something foul which I couldn't place. I fought through the pain inside my skull as I sat up from the chair, struggling to adjust my eyes to the bar's dark interior. I was sitting at the back of the pub, facing the bar on the far side of the room. The place was quiet, nearly abandoned in fact, There was a faint background noise, a weird and slightly irritating low buzzing sound that reverberated around the room. I couldn't place the sound and didn't know where it was coming from, but I decided not to worry about it for the time being. I slowly walked towards the bar and surveyed the room, confirming that it was empty, at least nearly empty. There were only four other customers besides me. A young man sat directly opposite me, glaring menacingly in my direction. He was clean-shaven, but had long blonde hair fashioned in a mullet. And he wore a shiny red shell suit and white trainers. It was like he'd just stepped out of an 80s-themed party. I saw a bottle of beer on the table in front of him, but the 80s guy wasn't touching his drink. He continued to glare at me, making me feel uncomfortable. I didn't know what this guy's fucking problem was, but if he didn't quit staring at me, there was going to be trouble. Spoken like a true bar rat. (laughs) In a darkened corner sat a middle-aged woman drinking alone, sipping from what looked like a glass of brandy while smoking from a cigarette holder. She was a redhead, dressed in a fur coat, tweed skirt, and high heels. Again, her look wasn't exactly contemporary, and I reckoned her clothes came from the 40s or 50s. I reckon there must be a fancy dress-up party on or something. From looking at this lady, I reckon she probably had a drinking problem, and it had taken its toll. She had heavy bags evident under her eyes and her teeth stained yellow, likely from years of heavy smoking. She stayed in her corner, not interacting with the other patrons or looking in my direction. I decided to leave her in peace. Next, I turned my attention to a couple perched-on-stools at the bar. They sat in close proximity. The man's arm stretched across the woman's shoulder as they whispered to each other, the woman laughing softly at her lover's jokes and suggestive comments. In keeping with the bar's apparent theme, the couple looked out of their time. The man wore a pinstripe suit and a fedora hat while the dark-haired woman was dressed in a glamorous shiny cocktail dress. They both looked like they'd stepped straight out of a 1920s gangster movie. The woman was elegant and attractive, and her intelligent green eyes marked her as much more than a gangster's whore. The man had his back turned to me, but I caught the young woman's eye, temporarily interrupting their flirtation. Suddenly, the man turned to face me. He seemed to be in a shit mood, and I noted the deep scar across his cheek and the barely suppressed rage behind his dark eyes. What the hell are you staring at, kid? he asked angrily. I'm not usually the type to back down from a confrontation, but there was something menacing about this guy, and besides, I had no beef with him and didn't need the hassle. Sorry, man, my bad, I answered, raising my hands defensively. Yeah, watch yourself, buddy, the gangster scowled. Fortunately, he seemed satisfied with my submission to his quote-unquote alpha male status, and so returned to his lady friend, although I noticed how she shot me a coy smile over his shoulder. Finally, I looked at the barman for the first time as he walked forward to greet me. "'Good evening, sir. What's your poison?' he asked in a friendly tone of voice. The barkeep was an unremarkable-looking man with thinning gray hair and a pot belly hidden underneath a checked shirt and denim jeans. His brown eyes looked tired and world-weary, although his voice sounded surprisingly kind and welcoming. "'I probably shouldn't,' I replied sheepishly. "'It's been a rough night.' "'So I can see,' he said with a smirk while looking me over." But hey, we don't judge here, and by the look of you, I think a large whiskey's in order. Hair of the dog, as they say. What do you think, my friend? I laughed nervously as the man's amicable nature slowly put me at ease. Well, go on, then. You've twisted my arm, I answered. I reached into my pockets only to realize my wallet was missing, as was my phone. I must have lost them both during the course of my bender. Fuck shit, I swore, drawing the barman's attention. Sorry, man, I don't have any money. The barkeep shook his head and smiled as he finished pouring my drink and placed the glass on the bar in front of me. Don't worry, amigo. He said this one's on the house. Then we can start a tap, depending on how long you decide to stay. Now relax. Take a load off, kid. Alright, man. Thank you, I replied, while taking a stool and reaching for my glass. I still felt uncomfortable about this whole situation, but I thought I would take some time to get my head together and perhaps see if the friendly barkeep would front me the cash for a taxi home. I was working my way up to asking him this when the barman picked up a remote control and switched on the old television set above the bar. That's when shit got weird. He spent a few minutes flicking through the channels, showing a series of disturbing scenes, most of which were either hardcore porn or acts of extreme violence. I'm not usually the squeamish type, per se, but some of those images were truly sickening. Depicting brutal murders, scenes of tortures, and they were all extremely graphic and realistic. The barkeep paused his channel surfing for a moment, watching a sadistic talk show where two zombies tore chunks out of a guest, ripping his throat out with teeth and nails. And as the violent murder played out, a studio audience cheered enthusiastically as the smiling presenter addressed the camera. Thankfully, the barkeep soon got bored of this grisly program and switched channels once again, ultimately settling on a soccer match. It all seemed fairly normal. That was until there was a close-up shot of the action and I noticed the players were kicking around a severed human head instead of a ball. Jesus, I swore, turning away from the TV in disgust as I reached for my glass and took a large gulp of hard liquor. I don't know if it was due to the circumstances, but that drink was the best drink I've ever had in my life. The barman kept the match on in the background but turned the sound down. There was no music playing in the bar, only white noise, that irritating and slightly disturbing buzzing which seemed to be gradually growing louder and more intrusive. It goes without saying that I was feeling pretty uncomfortable by this point. But not wishing to draw attention to myself, I scanned the bar room, anticipating that I might need to make a quick escape. I noticed then that there were no windows in the room, and the only lights were artificial. There was a door behind me, which I noticed was securely padlocked. This didn't bode well. I frantically looked to the rear of the room, noticing a back door that appeared to be unlocked. I made a mental note of this while I continued to survey the room. The walls were all adorned with disturbing pictures, photos of disasters and violent incidents, everything from the Hindenburg crashing in flames to the Buddhist monks burning on the streets of Saigon. These scenes of mayhem, destruction and tragedy only added to the menacing atmosphere. Furthermore, my fellow patrons continued to act very oddly, particularly the young man in the shell suit who was still glaring angrily at me from the far side of the bar. I shook my head, overwhelmed by the insanity of my surroundings, as I reached for my drink, downing it in one gulp. Care for another? asked the barkeep. I nodded my head in the affirm- in the affirmative, knowing I shouldn't, but somehow finding myself unable to refuse. What the hell kind of place is this? I asked incredulously. The barkeep smiled ever so slightly before answering. Well, sir, technically speaking, this is a shebin. That is to say, we aren't officially licensed by any earthly government or authority. But despite our disadvantages, we try to offer a comfortable experience for our patrons before they move on to the next phase. All right, I responded with a puzzled tone. Frankly, his so-called explanation only raised more questions. A comfortable experience in this shithole? Really? And what did he mean by the next phase? I was about to ask him when events interceded. Suddenly, the man in the shell suit shot up from his chair, pointing accusingly at the barman and screaming with an intense rage. "'You're a fucking idiot if you believe a word that bastard says,' he shouted, whilst continuing to point at the barman. His dark eyes were full of hatred. "'Now, sir,' the barkeep replied calmly. "'There really is no need for that kind of language. "'Fuck you,' he shot back. "'You're the one who keeps us here. "'I'm gonna make you pay, you fucker.' In a flash, he lifted his beer bottle, smashing it against the table and creating a weapon from the jagged edges. Next, the shell-suited, the shell-suited thug cried out as he overturned the table and charged towards the bar with his improvised weapon in hand. I instinctively jumped up from my bar stool, preparing to defend myself from this crazed attacker, but the barman was way ahead of me. I glanced across in time to see a, him pull a sawed-off shotgun from behind the bar, quickly aiming and firing at the attacker. The mighty blast from the gun reverberated throughout the room as the buckshot tore into the attacker's belly, throwing him back onto the filthy floor. There was blood everywhere, and the poor bastard's guts were spilling out all over the ground. He screamed in shock and agony, the color rapidly draining from his face as he tried in vain to shove his intestine back into his stomach. Meanwhile, the barkeeper re-aimed and fired again, this time blowing the man's head off, splattering fragments of his brain and skull all across the room. "'Jesus,' I squealed. "'That guy never learns,' the barkeeper said calmly as he emptied the spent cartridges from his shotgun." You just fucking killed him, I screamed in disbelief while the barman simply shrugged his shoulders dismissively. Suddenly I heard laughter, and I turned my head to see a middle-aged woman smirking cruelly. Seemingly taking a sadistic pleasure at the violent events which had played out before her, I shot her a disapproving look. But this only seemed to add to her amusement, as her mocking laughter grew ever louder. The courting couple at the bar had remained oblivious to the shooting before suddenly the gangster shot up from his chair angrily angrily fighting with his lover. What the hell, he shouted. I'll kill you, you bitch. He threw a punch, but the young woman reacted with astonishing speed and strength, grabbing his extended arm and snapping it like a twig. He howled out in pain as she threw his body against the bar. To my horror, the young woman transformed in an instant, her formerly delicate features and kind eyes replaced by something primal. I watched on as fangs emerged from her mouth and she bit deep into the helpless man's throat, ripping out his jugular and spraying dark blood all over the bar. She continued to feed as the man's body convulsed, the life slowly draining out of him. I found myself in a state of total shock, unable to believe the sudden descent and the bloody violence that I'd just witnessed. The fuck is wrong with you people, I explained, exclaimed, not really expecting an answer. While all this was happening, the older woman continued to laugh, her cruel cackle growing louder. But there was another sound that was assaulting my ears, the white noise, that fucking buzzing. I felt like it was inside of my skull and it was so intense and overwhelming that I could barely think. I knew I had to get out of here. I'd die if I didn't. Fighting through the pain, I darted towards the rear of the bar, knowing it was my only way out. But the woman blocked my path, having finished feeding off of her lover, his fresh blood dripping from her fangs as her eyes turned red like those of a demon. I ducked down and charged, somehow managing to avoid her grasp as I sprinted for the exit. I nearly slipped on the blood spread all across the floor, but thankfully I managed to stay on my feet, leaping over the mutilated corpse of the shell suit guy and never taking my eye off the back exit. I slammed through the door, emerging in what I would describe as an enclosed courtyard. Immediately, I found it difficult to breathe. The air was so heavy and stifling. I panted as I looked up above me and was horrified to see the sky was colored blood red, like I'd suddenly stepped out onto the surface of Mars. The courtyard had four high brick walls on each side, and the only visible exit was a heavy iron gate at the far end. But the path there was by no means clear. Guarding it was a huge figure, easily seven, if not eight feet tall, dressed in dark robes with his face entirely covered by a hood. This hellish entity stood tall, his head bowed as he guarded the gate and barred my way. He was truly terrifying and couldn't possibly be human but what really scared me was the beast he held on a heavy chain leash. A dog is what one might call it, but the beast was the size of a dire wolf, its eyes burning a demonic red and its snout filled with razor-sharp teeth. The beast growled and pulled on its leash. Its hungry, hateful eyes were fixed upon me, and I had no doubt it would tear me to shreds if I released. I was frozen to the spot, paralyzed with terror, as I struggled to breathe in the dense air. In my panicked state of mind, I considered fleeing back to the bar, because as bad as it was in there, I reckoned I had a better chance of survival. But I knew I would never make it. If this hooded psycho released his hound, the beast would be ripping me apart in seconds. I fell down on my knees, gasping for air as my eyes pleaded for mercy. The robed figure lifted his head ever so slightly, thankfully not revealing whatever horrors he hid underneath his hood. He loosened his grip and the dog barked so viciously I feared the worst. But then he lifted the other arm, pointing at me with his long bony fingers as he spoke in a deep and inhuman voice. And what he said was, It is not your time. Go back. I didn't need to be told twice, rapidly retreating as I sprinted back towards the bar's back entrance. Breaking through and slamming the door shut behind me. It took me a moment to regain my breath and some degree of composure before I surveyed the scene before me. I expected to witness the same bloodbath I'd left behind, but to my astonishment everything was back to normal, or at least as normal as things were in a place like this. The floors were no longer covered with blood and viscera, and the victims of the extreme violence I'd witnessed were alive and well, with no apparent injuries. The shell suit guy was sitting in the same spot as before he got shot, glaring back across the bar and the 20s-era gangster was back to flirting with the same woman who'd just ripped his throat out, both acting as if nothing had happened. The older woman in furs was no longer in fits of laughter and the barman had laid down his shotgun, instead clicking through the TV channels and eventually setting on the same soccer match played with the severed head instead of a ball. None of it made any sense, but then nothing had really made sense on this crazy night. It took me a moment to realize, but there was something different about the room, the front door, formerly closed and padlocked, now lay open, revealing a stairway leading upwards and a ray of sunlight shining down, illuminating the otherwise grim and dark barroom. I should have headed straight for the newly revealed exit, but I wasn't quite ready to leave yet, so I called out to the barman to get his attention. "'Evening, sir. What's your poison?' he replied cheerfully. I scratched my head in bewilderment, feeling a distinct sense of déjà vu. "'Don't you remember me?' I asked incredulously." Of course I do, sir, he replied almost defensively. You came in for two drinks, went out the back, and then you came back in. I shook my head in frustration, taking a seat upon the stool and looking the barkeep straight in the eye. I don't want a drink, I stated firmly, but I do want some goddamn answers. Of course you do, he exclaimed with a smirk. Shoot away, friend. I had my chance now, but the words stuck in my throat. Did I really want to find out the truth? Part of me said no, but a bigger part of me needed to know. The first question was the hardest to ask, but I forced the words out of my mouth. Am I dead? The barkeeper nodded his head, as if he'd anticipated this very question. Technically, yes, he replied coyly, but once you wake up, walk up those stairs, you should be okay. He pointed towards the staircase leading up towards the light, but I wasn't ready to go yet. My next question was a natural follow-up. This place, is it Hell's Waiting Room or something like that? Maybe. But I don't really know, to be honest, he replied. People come in here, I serve them drinks, they go out the back, or they go up the stairs. Most never return, and I don't know exactly where they end up. Heaven, hell, purgatory, who knows? Not me. Not really my department. I just try to keep people comfortable and calm for as long as they're here, and some stay a lot longer than others. He motioned to the motley crew of patrons spread across the bar room, and every now and again they send someone back through, people like you who aren't quite ready to move on. My head was pounding, and I still don't understand. But who are you, I demanded. What's your purpose? I saw his eyes light up, and his grin grew wider. I'm the barkeeper. Nothing more, nothing less. Look, buddy, I get it. You want me to give you all the answers, but unfortunately, I can't. People come through here, and I do my best to guide them. He raised his hand, motioning to the rest of the barroom. I know this place is a shithole. There's nothing I can do about that, regrettably. But I do my best for my customers. That's my job. And this is where my responsibility ends. I don't mess with that scary motherfucker out back. I couldn't, even if I wanted to. I was literally flabbergasted. To have come so far only to receive no real explanation. What was the point of it all? There was only one question left in my head, which I asked through clenched teeth. How can I avoid coming back here? The barkeep shrugged his shoulders. Honestly, I don't think you can. In the end, they all pass through here. My advice for what it's worth is to make the most out of the time you have because life is chaotic and rarely fair, so you've got to squeeze whatever happiness you can from the whole mess. Now, my friend, I think it's time you headed home. Until we meet again. I felt like screaming out and thrashing the whole bar. What he told me was totally insane, but deep down I knew the barkeeper spoke the truth. It was now or never. I had to leave this place or become trapped here forever. I took one last look at the barman and his ghostly patrons before turning my back and walking towards the door, ascending the staircase until the bright lights overwhelmed me. The rest of my tale is probably all too familiar. I awoke in the hospital, brought back to life by medical professionals after being clinically dead for several minutes. I ultimately made a full recovery and walked out of there to continue my life. I won't bore you with the details of what happened to me afterwards. Frankly, it doesn't really matter. I know I'll end up back in that damn place no matter what, or no matter what I do now or in the future, and honestly, that terrifies me. One thing brings me comfort, however. The barkeeper and his dedication to duty as he serves up drinks to the damned, doing so with a smile. So even though I dread the day of my inevitable demise, I can at least look forward to savoring one last drink served up by one hell of a good bartender. Until we meet again, old friend.
1: cock doo it's time for chicken. cock a doo it's time for a feast. Eat a 90-piece bucket, you can tell. He's been to Clucking Bell. The chicken is a bird with a tiny brain. So we assume he doesn't feel any pain. We shrink their heads and we breed them fast. Six wings, 40 breasts, then they're gassed. Cock-a-doodle-doo, we're psychotic crazies. Cock-a-doodle-doo, factory farming's insane. We denied it all before our stock price fell. Come down to Clucking Bell. Clucking Bell. If you enjoy it, the chicken didn't die in vain
0: speaking of birds dying in vain at this point, I'd like to encourage you guys to check out and support good cause crow rescue. That is good C A W S as in caw, the sound that crows make. It's a pun. Good cause crow rescue in British Columbia. Good friend of mine runs it. It's a great charitable cause. And, uh, Donations of all kinds are accepted and encouraged, so please check them out. She does uh, does great work, does a great thing, works her ass off. I would encourage you to check out her page on Instagram and Facebook and donate if you can. And on that note, squad, thank you guys very much for tuning back into another wonderful and exciting episode of the Halloween special of Anthology of Horror. I've been your host and narrator, Springheel Jack. If you guys haven't done so, please Give me five stars on the iTunes store. It doesn't cost you any money, just takes a little bit of time. Please, five stars. It helps the algorithm, so if you would like me to continue to do this, go ahead and give it a rating. And if you'd like to reach out to me to, uh, you know, ask me questions, send me stories, whatever, you can do so by going to instagram.com slash dukelandis17. That's instagram.com slash duke, D-U-K-E. Landis, L-A-N-D-I-S, 1-7. Alright guys, thank you very much for listening. Check back tomorrow for another episode of the Halloween special, and until next time, which will be tomorrow, stay spooky.